0: So, I'm not a Pro Shop user. No, you're not. They're a great sponsor of ours, and we hear a lot about Pro Shop from you, Jim. And one thing that's kind of surprising to me in, in a really good way for them is as I travel, I spend about a third of my life on the road. Yeah. As I travel, this year I've had like three or four different companies yeah. that are all either using Pro Shop and have amazing things to say about really? it. Really? Or they're like, one time I walked in and they were telling me, yeah, that's ProShop on the screen, but we're just like analyzing which ERP we were going to They're blowing to.
1: up, Nick. I mean, seriously, I know, I mean, just from talking to Paul, he's a busy man, and you're just hearing about him everywhere. I was
0: like, look, I don't use Pro Shop, but everyone I know who does absolutely
2: loves it. So, But in all seriousness, you're going into these shops across America, yeah. and you see it on their yeah. screen, and you're like, oh my God, yeah,
0: this- I've seen that before. And I'm like, is that Pro Shop? They're like, yeah. yeah. And one of them was just a, right on the fence about to pull the trigger. You know, and-
1: maybe... Paul should run for president in 2024. (laughs) He would
0: have my vote, man. So go to
1: ProShopERP.com for more information. Yep.
0: Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Goldner, and I'm joined by the leaders of Santa's Manufacturing Operations, Jason Zanger and Jim Carr. <laughs> I was like, why is he laughing? Because <laughs> I read the show Structure and I read that and it made me laugh.
2: And God knows we need to laugh a little bit, right? Yeah,
0: after a year like this, yes, we do. absolutely. So... It's the holidays. It is the holidays. I I don't know when this is going to be released. It's probably shortly after the holidays for our audience. Yeah, it's going to be in the new year. Happy holidays to you. Hopefully it was great for all of our listeners. I can tell you, I love the end of the year at Advanced and Hennig. Why? The period between... Like the week before Christmas and the The new week year. before Christmas? Yeah.
1: So, like. It's my favorite time of year, too. I love the planning side of things. Bingo. Setting goals for 2021, all that kind of stuff. I thrive on that.
0: So, in some ways, it's more like focused and strategic. In other ways, it's more relaxed. A lot of people are using their vacation. Mm-hmm. There's Everyone's bringing in like treats. Yeah. And, no, no you know, kidding. Tell oh, my God. Oh, here's this new Christmas concoction that I came up with.
1: Here's a new birthday cake donut.
0: Actually, we're looking at one right now. Happy birthday, Happy birthday to you. Jim. Thanks. Jim Thanks. is now 50 years old. Yeah, Congrats. Yeah, I love right? it. Yeah.
2: love it. Feel good. Feel good. <laughs> Get back on that workout routine, 2021. Exactly.
0: But yeah, for me, Jason, a big part of it is the strategy and the yeah, planning I too. It. I use a lot of half days and stuff near the end of the year. So I, I can wake up, have some coffee, think, and then come in and do like four hours of good strategy. And that's what we're going to talk about is, is the strategy that I've been working on for my sales channels in this episode. So cool. You know what I love about
2: being in business with you guys is because all three of us have three different ways of running a business. And I don't do anywhere near that type of high level. I mean, my strategy comes in our annual meeting, our quarterlies and our yeah. annual meeting.
0: And I want to ask you about your sales strategy too, because yeah. obviously you're doing some things right. You're growing. Mm-hmm. right? Smaller business. We have all these different business units. So yours is a little smaller, a little bit more focused. right? We have different layers to like our sales channels, for example, which we'll right. talk about, but doesn't mean I can't learn from you and no, you can learn absolutely. from me. And then Jason's like a key channel that we go to market with in the distribution channel. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting his perspective as well, but I have some good news. Good. I want to start with my, my own personal Personal positive kickoff, yeah. Hit, hit it, bud. It's a Y.
2: It's a Y. Do you know what that means? Do you mean Y like W H Y or the Y the like X Y? X Y. I do not know what that means. Instead oh, of X X, are you talking about your kid?
0: Yeah, oh. so oh, oh, yeah, awesome,
2: yes. So, cool. my wife
0: sent in this like little blood sample, she had to prick her finger and send it in, and then they like analyze it, and if they find a Y chromosome, you know, you got a boy. Cool. So that's Good. what I wanted. That's what I asked Santa for, was for a nice. You know, I don't boy. think it was that easy years ago. No, you get results way earlier now. It's yeah. insane. I, mean, I think we even had
2: like, to do a, an ultrasound or an amniocentesis. I think we had to do an amniocentesis. That is a huge word. Do you know what an amniocentesis is? is? is that, that's like invasive, right? They take a needle and they inject it into the mother's belly and they extract some of the fluids. Oh, that's crazy. Yes. There's a full diagnostic about the baby's health. Yeah. Wow. Amniotic fluid is what they call. And in that fluid, they can tell you. For sure, whether it was a, it's a boy or yeah, girl. so. Now that's the thing. Yeah, we didn't do any of that. We just did the ultrasound.
0: Like I may be making another announcement that this was a false why because it's like a mail in test. You know, you don't know if this thing is right. It's not oh, confirmed oh, by the doctor. So <laughs> I will be happy with another little girl. Dude, but I'm hoping for a boy. They do genetic testing at Walmart now. Right? Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> So how about some news related to manufacturing instead of just my own personal news? Yeah, what do you got? So this is from the 2021 Metalworking Capital Spending Survey from Gardner Intelligence. Mm. Let me guess, it's down. Yeah, Yes, you nailed it. And we're done. That's the that's <laughs> end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> end of
1: manufacturing news. There's less capital purchases in 2020.
0: <laughs> that's true. So the survey sees machine tool buyers seeking to reduce cost and add operational flexibility.
1: And it's not just them. It's I think every smart leader is probably doing that same My thing. My sales
0: channel project that we're gonna discuss is about reducing costs and adding operational flexibility. So but this is related to machine tool. Buyers. So they're saying
2: machine tool sales are obviously down.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a lot of this article because we do this, we go through, we pick out pieces. I picked yeah. out some of the best pieces. Yeah, what'd you find? But there's still kind of a lot.
2: So I get gardeners. No, I get AMTs, I'm sorry. Report every week, you know, economic reports that I read.
0: Gardner and AMT, they're like buddies. They work together. Right. Gardner's the modern machine shop guy.
2: I don't think... From what I've been seeing and reading, I don't think machine tool sales are down that much though. I'm going to say, I don't even think it's double digit. We
0: will dive in just to set the table. The 2021 Metal Working Capital Spending Survey from Gardner Intelligence shows overall purchasing declines, but increased investment in higher end machine tools, such as turn mill machines and five axis machining centers.
1: I'm definitely seeing that because like our, our clients who are busier right now are moving away from, say, spending $100,000 on a machine to spending a million dollars on a machine. And that machine is highly automated. It's going to start spitting out parts the second that it... It hits the shop floor, and it's going to produce way more parts than it did before.
0: And according to this, it's not likely to be a one-trick pony machine. Of course. So I'll dive into oh, some oh. of this. The unprecedented impact of the global pandemic is affecting the motivations of machine tool buyers as well as their plans for which types of machine tools they are likely to purchase in 2021. This year, the survey findings indicate that reducing cost and adding operational flexibility are two of the most important reasons why there will be purchasing machine tools in 2021. These are the only two motivations for purchasing machine tools that show an increase from 2020. So those two motivations, why you're buying machines, are the only two that have increased between last year and this year. The pandemic is affecting the volume of machine tools that shops plan oh, to buy. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So this kind of answers your question, Yep. Jim. According to the survey, machining facilities are projected to spend $5.092 billion on machine tools in 2021. This is a decline of 19%. From the latest estimate for 2020.
1: Wait, so they're saying that 2021 is going to be down in machine tool scales versus
2: 2020? 19%. That doesn't
0: even make sense. Well, when they were surveying the audience, it was at the lowest point last year. To okay. make So they were saying the pessimism was probably pretty high, but this was the third year in a row of declining machine tool purchases. So where the decline is being seen is notable, though. The 2021 production is lower than the latest estimate for 2020, in large part because of planned spending on what our survey has to call, quote, other machine tools, quote. This category includes ancillary machines, such as drills or niche machines, such as gear cutting machine tools. Planned spending on these other machine tools is... 0.757 billion, which is down 0.884 billion from the estimate in 2020. The projected decline of more than 50% in this area accounts for nearly 75% of the total projected decline in machine tool spending. So that goes to my point, like the not one trick pony machines, these niche, very specific machine tools are declining, but here's where they're projecting strong increases. Turnmill machines, so, spending on lathes and turning centers is projected to increase by thirty-six percent to one point two six nine billion, which would be the most spent on lathes and turning centers since twenty fourteen. Oh, great! However, it is the type of lathes and turning centers. It's the mill turns. Exactly. Like if they have multi-axis capability or multi-tasking. I just bought a, a
2: a mill turn this year too. Why buy a three-axis? You know, a two-axis lathe.
1: What about is our Swiss machines in that same category? I would I separates? would think so. I would think so too. But you never know how they categorize. If it,
0: it can turn and mill. Oh yeah. Then no,
1: I'm saying in the the lathe department.
0: Oh. Yes, I would definitely think yes, Jason. So here's where here's another one on more my end of the world. Spending on machining centers is down, but five-axis spending is up.
2: I bought two this year. So, so, there you right. go.
0: <laughs> so unlike lathes and turning centers, spending on machining centers is projected to decline by 11% to $2.236 billion. But despite the decline, there's a similar shift in planned spending towards machines that can reduce cost and add operational flexibility by reducing setups and allowing a greater variety of parts to be machined. Spending on three-axis verticals is projected to decline by 18% the third consecutive year of decreased spending on 3-axis verticals. However, spending on 5-axis verticals is projected to increase 73%. 73.
1: Yeah. Well, and we're definitely even seeing that with the workholding sales that we have where For I mean sure. like, like your standard Kurt vice that everybody uses, I mean, we're selling way less of those in place of like the the smaller 5-axis workholding. Yeah,
0: these little like self-centering vices exactly. and
1: stuff.
2: They have their place, but they're still not all they're meant to be. And we're selling a lot of
0: trunnions to where they're like adding an axis to exactly. their little like vf 4 or whatever. Exactly. So the same pattern is seen in horizontal machining centers. Three axis HMC spending is projected to decline 35% to 0.511 billion. Like the three axis VMCs, this would be the third consecutive year of decreased spending in three axis horizontals. However, spending on five axis horizontals is projected to increase 27% to billion. So, still less spending overall, but the spending is growing on the multi axis, more multitasking style machines, and it's shrinking on the the other ones.
1: Jim, I don't know if you remember this, you probably do. Several years ago, when we did an entire episode about why you didn't buy a five axis machine, and you know, if there's any episode that Making Chips has that we should just obsolete,
0: (laughs) that would be the one. This one didn't age well. It just goes
2: to show you that you're welcome to
0: change your mind. Yeah,
2: exactly. You're welcome to change your mind. Well, you know, when like someone (laughs) makes a
0: prediction and then like people on Twitter, Twitter jump and say, that didn't age well because right, when it exactly. doesn't go right. And then Jim buys
2: two five axes. The thing is you have to stay on t- ahead of your competition. And if 70, that's huge. I better go buy another one. Yeah, You know, 73%, that's huge. That's huge.
1: Well, hopefully the smart machine tool manufacturers are going to be, you know, changing their output. And hopefully that's what these numbers will help them to to do.
0: So the last part of this article concludes by talking about the type of people who are buying. And this is really important as you talk about like, okay, what sales channels should you utilize it's like well what are the end users doing so in addition to increasing machine tool spending at contract manufacturers and decreasing machine tool spending at oems the survey indicates a shift in spending by plant size machine shops with fewer than 20 employees like jim carr Mm -hmm. are projected to spend 1.341 billion on machine tools and increased of roughly 40 percent the projected spending would be very close to the all-time high spending by these smaller facilities. However, facilities with more than 250 employees are projected to spend $0.82 billion on machine tools, which is a decrease of 51% at the lowest level since 2008. Also, these large facilities have decreased their spending every year except one since 2014. The shift in machine tool spending seems to suggest a change in where metal cutting work is done. It's shifting from larger OEM facilities to smaller U.S. contract manufacturers or job shops.
1: I love it. The rise of, you know, entrepreneurialism in our industry. And that's is, exactly that's
0: great. what we're seeing. We still have some really big end users, the spirits of, of the course. World. But I'm telling you, like, a but lot you know, of smaller shops Well, are we've been talking us,
1: about this for years that, like, entrepreneurialism is really going to be a catalyst for this industry. I mm-hmm. mean, it really is. And, you know, there's going to be so many great companies that are going to be started up that are just going to thrive because they're nimble and they're flexible and they're able to produce parts at the same price point that one of the large oems
2: are able to do completely agree with
1: that So i
0: thought that was interesting i sent it to like our whole executive staff oh you did yeah it's right in line with what, what i'm seeing in your business yeah exactly how you're buying machines yeah this lines up with how yep. your growth and then like our huge shops where 500 employees you know we're not seeing as much as yeah. we want so it's
2: crazy yeah, I think the nimbleness is is a really a big thing. We can flip on a dime. You know, like I just got an email today that they want to increase one part number by a hundred parts, and I think we've already ordered the material already. It's we react that fast.
1: Exactly.
2: We can, where we don't have to wait for an admin to process it and she's at home because she's out of the office or something, you know, we can get it done. We can, we're, we can react extremely fast.
1: Well, I mean, making chips was, created for the small entrepreneurial cnc machine shop owner. right i mean really was and you know we do have a, a lot of listeners who come from larger companies but by and large most of the metalworking nation that we talk to are the small under 25 person machine shop
0: and maybe some of the listeners at the bigger companies are learning they're they're listening because they want to learn about their smaller maybe, counterparts
2: maybe. what are they learning what are they learning?
0: They're learning how a guy like you thinks, a guy who runs a you know, 10, 15-man shop.
2: Are they learning nimbleness? Are they learning how to react? Are they learning how to communicate? Maybe they're learning leadership skills so
1: that from making chips so they, they can leave that large OEM and go off on their own and start their own shop. Right. Mm, and maybe we should
0: ask, what are you guys learning? Please, l- rate and review our podcast. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you're learning. Email us at info at makingchips.com. We want to know what you're learning. We want to know what you value with this podcast. Yeah. So I want to know. But you asked me, Jim. Okay, so what, what did I learn from that? Well, In your business, not my business. I want to know what you your takeaway we're was. We're going to talk a little bit about my business. Okay. So, so I need
2: to know who's buying,
0: what, what sectors are growing, what sectors are yeah, shrinking. You need to know who to talk to
2: you need to talk to the gym cars of the world
0: exactly uh, so what's the right mix of sales channels to connect more with that growing segment and that's what this whole strategic initiative that i've been working through with my brother and the president of Ad- advanced i'm trying to figure out okay do we have the right mix do we have gaps where we don't have enough feet on the street do we have overlaps where we have redundant channels and all you're doing is stacking discounts and commissions and killing your profit and there's areas where we the answer is yes in both cases we have like five business units at Hennig, five business units at AME, and all these different sales channels that don't necessarily f- have a one size fits all for every business unit. So it's not an easy, like, oh, this is an obvious decision. It takes a lot of research. And that's what I've been doing. I've been doing so much exploring, so much fact finding. So I'm going to share some of my thoughts so far. Yeah. I don't please. have all the answers, but I- Is this what your show is about? Yes. Okay. Optimizing sales channels and getting the mix Right. I want to get your perspective. I want to share my thoughts. Yeah. I'm still working through this. So it's not like mm-hmm. I have a prescription. For well, something.
2: you need to know how to target me.
0: So right. if you set up an
2: avatar in your head about what are the characteristics of the gym car companies mm-hmm. around the country, then you can learn more about them and learn how to target them. Exactly. And that's one, one way. It's not the end all. It's not the way, but it's one way to think about it.
0: Right. So let's talk about sales channels. Like what is a sales channel? It's how you go to market. So when you buy your car, you probably don't buy it directly from the manufacturer unless you're Jason and you bought a Tesla. Right. Right. Most of the time you buy it through some sort of dealer distributor. Exactly. And then if you do buy it directly from Tesla, like you probably didn't work with Elon Musk. Who did you buy your car from? The website.
1: Yeah, you you bought it through the website. And the, the thing about Tesla is that, yeah, there's limited options. And even Tesla, when they work outside of the United States you're dealing with their dealer network
0: right so they have different channels for different markets and the first channel that i'm going to look But list,
1: i just bought a, i just bought a new Ford box truck and a new Ford van and both of those were through dealerships. different local dealers and the guy, and, and it was nice because he was flexible and he was texting me and we're getting the deal done before the end of the year and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It
0: added the personal element. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a perfect segue. We're going to talk about my perceived strengths and weaknesses are and where there might be some opportunities or threats Are we doing a
2: SWOT analysis of AME?
0: A little bit for each channel. So the first one you you kind of alluded to it is like the inbound channel or what I call like dealing with the house. And that's what you did with Tesla. Like they optimized the digital experience. I'm, I have never bought a Tesla, but can you describe kind of what that was yeah, like absolutely.
1: for you? It, it So the thing about Tesla is that there's not a lot of options. If you're going to buy a Tesla, you've kind of committed to the platform, and it doesn't leave you a lot of choices. Are you going to spend a quarter of a million dollars on a Roadster? No, I'm going to get their. I got their entry level vehicle, and. You have a choice of colors. You maybe have a choice of rims. You have a choice of you know all wheel drive.
2: Well, yeah, there's a little bit of you know. I heard you can pay two thousand dollars and they'll download it, so your car his uh, you, like five you, more you horsepower.
1: But I mean, the point is that you're very, very limited in your choices. You don't need much as far as recommendation goes. Self driving is options, but I mean, compared to like a normal, say Ford or you know another manufacturer like that, the options are very limited. It's very open whereas like Ford it's a little confusing as far Mm -hmm. as what your options are and stuff like that. So were you
0: essentially configuring on your own
1: and it took literally less than five minutes. That's so cool. I mean yeah there's
2: not there's not a lot of options. There's not
1: a lot of options. I mean it took five minutes you put you put some money down do you want the pretty
2: charger or do you want the other charger? Yeah.
0: So for me it's like if you're if that's a channel that you believe in and you're going to focus on it, you have to optimize your digital experience mm-hmm. you, because otherwise, if it's clunky, like they're going to be out.
2: But Tesla knows their target audience probably well and they know how to present themselves well because you're buying a, br- with obviously with Tesla, you're they have a, a big brand. audience and they're able to, you're buying a brand, though. they can
1: cast a wide net through digital marketing and through their big audience. Whereas right. if you go through like a dealer network, you're casting a wide net through the dealer network. So sure. it's a little bit different as far as that
0: goes. So why do you think, Jason, that they choose not to go through dealers? Like put yourself in Elon's shoes and or whoever his director of sales is. In North America, he sells direct to the consumer. We have a big machine tool company that does that as well, DMG. We mm-hmm. spoke at their national sales event. We did. They decided to not go through distributors. So, In general, their customer
1: service experience is not very good, okay? And their local experience is not very good. So they have chosen to not have as high of a customer service experience as you would if you had that local dealer network. It's a choice, and that's okay to make those choices because they've chosen to have a digital experience be better than say what you would have with that with the local right on because there's
0: costs associated right. to creating that experience. exactly so they probably spend more digitally exactly and less in distributors and i got a phone call like and
1: there's I'd, pros and cons with both because like you you can't say that the digital experience is going to replace the personal customer service it's experience. all about
0: getting the mix right
1: it's about getting the mix market and, and understanding your mix and knowing your audience and what and what your mix should properly be.
0: And knowing your numbers, like, can can you afford to go through all these different kinds of customer relationships and use all these channels and still make a profit? You got to know your numbers. So, but for me, like when I bought my Lincoln, like that's a Ford company, they, they like call me all the time. Like, Hey, how are you I liking know. it? Is there anything we can do for you? It's right. Like, that probably doesn't happen to you. No. But the experience, like you mentioned, of buying that Tesla wasn't the same as. Yeah, I mean,
1: after, after the sale, so it's funny that you mentioned that after the sale, you know, I did have to reach out to the local Tesla facility, which there is one in Chicago. And it was almost like, what are you bothering me for? Mm-hmm. And, really? I, and I'm not saying I don't, this is not me trying to dog Tesla. I love my Tesla. But when I tried to call them because I had an issue, it's like I was bothering them. <laughs>
2: Hey guys, it was great having Peter Eelman on the show a couple weeks ago. It was really interesting to hear how Mazak pivoted during a pandemic and wasn't able to have a live event at IMTS 2020 this year. You know I have Mazak machines in my shop and I'm really curious to see how Mazak too has pivoted without having that conference available to them to showcase their products. You know, Mazak's right there in the front, and it's really exciting to see what they've got and what what the future of Machine Tool holds on. I'm going to give Matt Bain a call and and just to find out to see how things are going with him.
0: This is Matt.
2: Hey, Matt. This is Jim from Making Chips. How are you, man?
0: Good. How are you?
2: Good. Sorry. We had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties on the previous call. I apologize for that.
3: No worries. Been there before.
2: Yes, I know. And you're no stranger to making chips. You've been on the show before, so you're familiar with this, but I just want to let you know that you are live right now. We are doing a making chips episode. We thought we'd give you a quick call. The guys and I were just sitting around talking about our episode we had with Peter Eelman a few weeks ago and how IMTS has pivoted in the pandemic to go from a, a physical trade show to a virtual trade show. And we know that Mazak has always been a part, a huge part, of the Physical trade show at McCormick Place in Chicago. And just love to hear your perspective on what an attendee to IMTS Spark, their virtual trade show, is and what they're going to see if they go to the Mazak booth on the uh, platform.
3: Well, if they go to the Mazak booth specifically, I guess that's a two part question. So, in general, what the attendee is going to see, then what they see at the Mazak booth. I'll talk about the Mazak booth first of all, because that's what I'm. Most familiar with, of course, if you go to our booth, we are a uh, what's called a mega sponsor, and what that means is we have the opportunity to be able to use collateral the maximum amount of collateral faces or slots were allowed, the maximum amount of video content allowed, the maximum amount of those folks that what are called business cards those are mezak representatives that are on the site to answer any questions. so we've kind of maxed out our presence. On IMTS Spark, and that's no mistake because we really view IMTS Spark as a great opportunity to connect with customers, albeit that we're you know we're, we can't have the in-person events. Right, but making the best out of the situation and, and really presents an opportunity to connect with customers on a on a different level. We have new product that we're showcasing on our site, and you can see that through the videos. We have customer testimonials that you'll see on our site. I think that speaks volumes. It really oh, speaks yeah. to customers that they can... Kind of see themselves as the customers, so we really view that as a, as a good piece of of marketing for us.
2: There's nothing like seeing your peer that's having a problem with a machining issue. You know, whether it be they can't machine a specific alloy, or they're they're trying to cut some shave some time off a production job. If they can see that live in action and see what they did before. And how they had that pain and how Mazak was able to come in, help them, equip them, and shave minutes off of a production part. That's awesome. That's what what we want to see as manufacturing owners.
3: Absolutely. And in some ways, a video like that is is maybe... A little bit better than a than a live demonstration on our floor because they, they can see beginning to end in, you know, in a, in a five minute video of how we solve their problem. So sure. it's a good, short, powerful use of, of our machine and machines and technologies and solutions that pr- we provide.
2: So tell me, uh, you know, let's just say that Jim Carr, president of a car, machine, and tool is ready to buy another CNC machine tool. We don't have the luxury of going to McCormick Place this year and walk the floor and go to your booth and see all the new technology and see cutting demonstrations and, and hearing the sound of that machine tool, you know, cutting metal. It, it's all in our blood. We get excited over that. But what, what can I expect as a prospective CNC machine tool buyer. If I go to IMTS Spark and go to the Mazak virtual booth,
3: well, I think what can you expect? You can expect to um, come away with answers to some uh, to a lot of the questions you had. Now, you know whether that be if you had questions about how a machine specs. You know, we always have specs, and I think that's kind of the the beginning part of of your research if you're looking for new pieces of equipment is to compare across the different competitors specs but i think you can going on our site and that's you know what we strive to do is really go beyond specs to show what our equipment what our machines are able to do for customers again going back to the solving problems or Helping customers with their pain points—that's that's what we're in the business for.
2: Yeah, can I search like on the on the Mazak in, in your booth for what I'm looking for specifically to filter everything out?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, if you were to go to our page and you um, you would immediately come up and you'd see all the different videos that we have available, and you know there's 20 of them available there.
2: So you've got 20 videos at your booth.
3: Uh, twenty videos okay. at our booth, and those are a mix of customer testimonials, product videos, specific programming videos, all the different kind of all the different avenues or areas that that machine tools and when you're looking to buy machine tools, areas that you're considering. And then in addition, we have um, we have some white papers. We have several white papers. Again, we have twenty white papers in our in our booth.
2: Explain to manufacturers that don't know what a white paper is, Matt, what, what a white paper is.
3: So a white paper is a, I uh, think about a, almost like a term paper. If, if you were in college, Okay, but it's a, it's more than just a, a one page flyer, but it's not a, a complete novel. It's a, kind of somewhere in between where a, a problem or a, a topic is covered and the topic is introduced. And as the white paper goes along in this case, Mazak, presents its different solutions or ways that it can solve that problem. So it kind of is a, is a thorough, almost story, if you will, of, of how we're able to solve a customer's problems.
2: Sounds really good. So how would people go to go, go to imts.com forward slash spark, or maybe mm-hmm. you can get to the spark area right from imts from their homepage, and then once they've registered they have to they have to create a log login credentials for themselves and then they can just search for MAZAC from there
3: correct yeah you register for a spark account and once you're which is no cost you register for a spark account and you're once you're in the uh i guess the virtual world of, of mccormick place sure uh, you you go and you find there's an exhibitors tab and you go to that find exhibitors and there are when you click on that there's over 2,000 exhibitors, but Mazak is one of the featured exhibitors, one of almost 70 featured exhibitors, and you're able to find us under that tab. Or once you do click on the find exhibitors, there's a bunch of different ways you can search. Probably the easiest way is to search by keyword, just type in Mazak in, in the uh, looking glass and you'll find us and you'll you'll see us pop up there. Sounds great.
2: Matt, I appreciate your time that you gave it. i Glad you picked up your phone when I called you. Uh, Again, this is Matt. He's the marketing and analytics manager at Mazak North America. And Matt, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it and hope to uh, get together soon once we come out of this pandemic.
3: Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Bye.
0: So we'll move to the next channel, but in general, house, you're dealing directly with the customer. There's no intermediate. Control. Yep. And you usually be, get to retain more of the profit for yourself because you don't have to share it with any of your channels. Typically,
1: although there's there's some variability, there's like kind of a we talked about balance between digital marketing and the customer experience. There's a balance there too because there's a lot of OEMs who would argue that they reduce their costs by having like a layer there. So it's like you got to find that happy
0: Yeah, medium. there's there's pros and cons yeah, to every channel. Totally. So here's the uh, one of the main channels that we go to market with and we call them business development leaders. They're basically product group leaders. So they're nationally focused and they're focused on one of our business units. So for example, the guy- How many of those do you have in your company? 10. Okay. Five and five at AME and Henick. So okay. we have chip conveyors and filtration systems for machine tools. Uh-huh. We have a business development leader that focuses on that P&L for that group and increasing sales for that business unit. So what do I like about them? Well, they're they're able to be focused, laser focused on one product line. They're able to be entrepreneurial- They're able to be connected to, the; they can kind of see the forest through the trees. So instead of taking one region and saying, okay, all regions are like that, they're they're getting inquiries from all over the U.S., all over Canada. So they understand it as if they were like the president of that little company, even though it's one business unit. The weaknesses, there's two main weaknesses to that channel. And again, it's an important channel. I'm not dogging on the channel. These guys are good. They're expensive. They require... Some of the highest salaries in our company, and if- because they have the acumen, the business acumen, yeah,
2: they understand the product extremely well, and
1: they're probably really good at that larger OEM level right. where they can really make an impact and and spend a lot of time where that time is needed. It's kind of like when we had our episode with the way of the mill and he talked about how he was very much a project focus engineer and he was spending months at one particular end user, as opposed to like the machine tool technical people who are like kind of go from job to job, from shop to shop.
0: So yeah, you, you kind of touched on a strength and a weakness. So while they can be experts in huge account management, like for example, we, make most of the Haas chip conveyors. So we're dealing with Haas's engineers, Haas's right. purchasing people. They're calling each other all the time.
1: Yeah, they're coming out with a new a new machine and you're helping them spec it out.
0: Exactly. So when you have all these machine tool OEMs and you're covering the whole nation, it doesn't leave a lot of time or as much time as I would like for them to go find brand new customers and like go develop new accounts and new business. So that would be kind of the strengths and weaknesses to that channel. The next channel that we use is direct regional sales managers. So I have 10 business units between AME and Hennig, and I've got product to the whole U.S. Yeah, that's horizontal. One business unit, yep. the whole U.S. Then I've got, like, take the Southeast. Okay. Like Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, North and South Carolina. Take that, like, region. Okay. And I have one RSM supporting 10 different business development leaders. So he his focus is spread across, like, 10 groups, business groups, but he's focused on... A region. So if we're working with You have five of those Okumas right? in that region. So if we're working with Okuma, we're dealing with them on machine protection, on chip conveyors and filtration systems, on work holding packages that go with the Okuma machines. The regional sales manager is working with his BDL for each business group, but he's regionally focused. He has an actual office in Okuma. You know, he actually like has close relationships and you know goes out to dinner and does joint calls with his Regional right. I, I understand that. So,
1: I, th- this is kind of interesting because, you know, I do deal with this kind of thing on a day to day basis. So, one of our biggest product lines that we sell is Norton Abrasives, and they kind of operate in that same structure where they've got their regional person and then they've got their steel mill guy, then they've got their aerospace guy. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with both of all of those people depending on, you know, are we, you know, in the steel mill? Are we in an aerospace account? You know, if I'm dealing with Jim Carr and he's machining an aerospace part and it's aerospace material, I'm going to be interfacing with not only the regional guy, but also that aerospace expert because he's going to be able to solve Jim's problems a lot quicker.
0: Yeah, so before I get to my strengths and weaknesses on, on my what I believe are strengths and weaknesses to that channel, what's that experience like for you? It's a little different because they're focused on like industry segments mm-hmm. than what I'm describing, yeah, but it's still, you're dealing with different guys in the same... For the same principle, right? Yeah. So we even have like, so
1: with ISCAR cutting tools, they have an OEM guy and then they have a regional guy. So it's the same thing the OEM works with say the Akumas and the Haases and, and people like that. And so when we've got say a turnkey that we're working on for a client, we're interfacing with the OEM. Whereas when we're over at, you know, Jim Carr's shop and you know, he just needs to help spec out a new Mill, you know, we're dealing with the regional person, right?
0: So it, it it it's easy for us to manage. It's it's not that difficult, even though you might be dealing with one guy for a certain customer segment, like steel mills, and another guy for aerospace. That that's not frustrating or confusing. no, it's not
1: because I mean, like this is a you know semi exclusive line for us that we're constantly promoting, so we kind of know the ins and outs as far as what we're supposed to do. Perfect.
0: Yeah, that's that's good feedback for me because. I may have a distributor who's working with my chip conveyor guy, my fixturing guy. Oh, you do that. I mean, you work with different people at our company. So, okay. Strengths. My strengths for the direct regional sales manager. One, they can go to the Gemba. So that's like a Japanese term that my brother uses all the time. But like they go to the actual place where the work is being done. They're creating
2: a business relationship. It's like right go and, and see there.
0: for yourself. Like actually talk to customers, actually visit their shops. If you're a national huge. guy kind of working out of the headquarters and making strategic flights throughout the country, right? you're not able to like really get into as many shops as a regional guy who's doing that like, every week, day in and day out. Another one is they're a huge support to my BDLs. They're the hands and eyes and ears for that national guy who can say, hey, I know you're working on this new program with Okuma, for example. This is what this application engineer needs to be successful. He's got a relationship with his boss and his boss is pressuring him to get more flexibility or achieve a better cost or whatever. If we can help make this individual successful, it'll get us in the door for more opportunities, right? Sure. So the regional guy knows on a person-to-person basis what it takes to make them successful, whereas maybe my national guy might know on like an account basis, okay, what generally does this account need? So they really work together and rely on each other. Another one is they have attention to detail with our partnerships. In Jason's example, like they sell our fixturing solutions. So Tom Sanger will be working with Cameron Schubert, my direct regional guy for this region and your direct regional guy and they might be working together you and i might be working at like a higher level like how how are we doing stop
2: there so here's here's where i think there's a disconnect let's hear it. it yeah and i'm hearing it and i'm my eyes are glazing over a little bit because you know what i was actually thinking the same thing as you jim i have a pain all i just need, solve it all i need is a freaking tombstone or a vice and i need it tomorrow. All I hear in my head, Nick, believe me, I'm not I'm not being disrespectful at all. It just is what I've been thinking. It's all of these connections and all these people have to communicate. And it's like a line, one after the other, after the other. Just get me a freaking vice in my shop. Really, I, I mean this very respectfully. When all those people has to go through all those people, I think it loses something. There's a
0: complexity there. When you Why buy it? a vice, how do you do it? Either
2: we call Zingers or we go online to MSC and buy it right off MSCs.
1: And this is where I think the us as a distributor, we solve that complexity. So if you call me, I'm able to take about... 30 seconds of your time, figure
2: out your pain point. Well, and we, then, know. we know what we want before we're even there.
1: No, but I mean, for me to understand your pain, it takes about 30 seconds. And then from there, I'm able to interface with the OEM and say, okay, we need to get Alvin involved as opposed to getting Cameron involved. And it makes that whole experience seamless for you because you don't want to know about all that stuff going
2: on in the background. I don't. But to me, that's kind of like bogging down
0: the response time. Because again, you- I have a mix of all these channels. Yeah. I so if you guys want a tombstone, that's a kind of a standard product. Ryan can go to my website. Find the exact CAD for the exact product he wants. Request a quote and Dude, not have to deal with anybody. That's yet. the way to go. I'm telling you. That's so that's the that way to go. direct kind of Tesla channel. Yeah. Yes. Now, if you if you want to have a conversation, like, well, here's what we're trying to accomplish. I need some help. I need to a sort little through more this.
2: technical. We we really have a a long term problem. We have to we have to get the runtime
0: down from 60 minutes to 45 because right. you're 45 minutes away. My application engineer from. My business unit may go out and visit you. Sure. you got to think, there's a gym car in Alabama. Kansas. There's a gym car in Alabama. Why do I have a regional guy? Because he can be the one who actually goes in, listens to them. Maybe it's a distributor. Maybe it's not a regional guy. But why do we use channels? Because I can't take one guy and have him be in every shop that needs no, him all the right, time. right, right. So- it doesn't offend me at all that you said, all I want it to do is be convenient. Sometimes you need like a consultative sale and there, there you need someone to help you with consultation. Yes, yes. Other times you're just like, hey, can I have a quick, easy, painless experience? Can I get CAD and can I order it from your site or at least request a quote from your site? Well, I offer that too. What I'm trying to figure out is how much should I invest in every different channel? So
2: my guys are already learning about the products available to them. You know how they learn about these products? The website, the content. YouTube, Instagram, that's pretty much it. Right. LinkedIn, somebody's posting a, a work holding device or a cutting tool or a machine tool in a 15, 20, 30 second spot. And a social media platform. There's a link to a YouTube. Oh, it looks pretty good. They go right to the YouTube site. Uh, they see all of these, all of these YouTube series show up. Mm-hmm. And that's what so
0: they're learning already. So that's just like a they're big doing- ad for content marketing, which is my bread only. and butter. Like that's my number one channel that I if I had to only site- pick one, which I would hate to have to do, it would be that one. Just inbound. Content The buyer is getting much more savvy in the way we buy things nowadays. But to play the devil's advocate a little bit, we've worked through detailed applications specific to your own situation that you can't find a YouTube video that's going to solve it. And that's how I've sold to you like the best fixtures that I've sold to you. Okay. Best in terms of like highest dollar, most value to me selling to you and most value to you. When you just need like a vice, you can get that from a distributor or direct from the OEM if they sell direct.
2: Right, but if I'm if I'm tooling up a big horizontal machining center for million dollar contracts on that machine for the next five years, we have to buy work holding that's going to be adaptable to a, a lot of different job types. And over there's the next no way to years. like
0: YouTube that. You know, there's no no. You, you might get some insight from it, but the specifics of your application, you need a technical expert.
2: So okay, the problem with that is that sometimes those contracts get pulled things change, they shift, pandemic, you know, a whole barrage
0: of things can come about. Here's what I have for the weaknesses of the direct regional sales manager. Even in that region I described where there's like six, seven states, the person's got one set of feet on the street. He needs to be productive. He needs to manage the territory. There's thousands of shops in that territory. Mm -hmm. So he isn't, going to be able to see one third if you saw one a day. So he's got to work with his channel partners, like his local industrial distributor, his local machine tool dealer. And so one set of feet on the street can be a weakness if they're not able to kind of like build a, a team around them. And then also they come with both fixed and variable costs. So I have to pay commissions on sales. To my regional guys, I want to pay them. I want them to earn commissions, but there is a cost there. And then I have to pay a salary and a car and ho- hotels. And so there's a fixed cost and a variable cost element. And it's not cheap because you need a really strong person in that role. So that would be kind of the, the weaknesses of that. The next channel, I only have a few of these, but there's independent manufacturers representatives. Yep. So they eat what they kill. They don't work for your company. They represent you and... Yeah you know, a handful of other principles. Are, are you engaged with them at we, all? We have
1: only like a few left. I know a lot of machine shops that utilize independent manufacturers' representatives too. Really? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And... Some of them really like that experience. I know one of our clients is is really, you know, like doubling down on building out a network like that. I mean, he was like the, you know, as the president of the company, he was like the main sales guy and interfacing with each one of his clients. And he's been working at building out a manufacturer's rep nationwide. This is a...
0: Like an agency network? Yeah.
1: And yeah. He's, a, he's a traditional job shop, but he's unique in that he does really, really big stuff. But he seems to be liking what he's what he's building from a sales network
0: standpoint hmm. i was kind of down on this channel i felt like we were giving them exclusive territories and a lot of the commissions we were paying when someone says okay we're paying you commissions that's like okay we're, we're giving you something i want them to earn the commissions i want i want to be like hey you brought in so much business and this is what you earned
1: it depends on where your presumption is from if your presumption is first that they're earning it then you know they Probably you could motivate them to that. But if your presumption is that it's just a cost, well, then that's how you're going to do it. And it's kind of like
0: an anti sales culture if you're like, they pay all these commissions. No, they earn commissions. That's part of their job. So I was more down on the channel than I am now. I'm working with uh, some consultants who got a lot of experience in this industry. And like you, de- what you described, there are some really, really valuable independent agency networks that can really move the needle for you. So the strength is there's no fixed expense. There's no fringe expenses. Mm -hmm. They run their own company. Right. They are entrepreneurial. You eat what you kill. And they eat what they kill.
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on if you build the
0: accountabilities
1: out correctly. So if you, you know, contract with them to say, this is what you're going to be responsible for. And as like the owner of the shop, you can delegate and elevate so if you if you are able to pass off a customer experience where that independent manufacturer's rep can take care of the client even better than you are able to do and then you're able to work on a h- higher level responsibilities i think you're going to be in really good shape and then you're going to be able to grow your business
0: so i have i have two weaknesses for them and then i want to get into the last channel which is like you Jason as a distributor so the weaknesses of the manufacturer's rep is often their focus is spread across multiple principles. So they may work for my 10 business units. And I don't know how they have any loyalty. That's
2: exactly. Their focus, their loyalty, it can be spread. Because they're not going to want to do business with Jim Carr because they'd rather do business for a company that, you know, if they get a $10 million machining contract, I can't handle that. But so they're going to always service the company that can handle the higher volume. That's
1: not necessarily true. It just depends on how you've, you know, kind of built out your relationship. It, exactly. It hmm. really
0: depends on the rep or the agency of reps and the relationship you have with them. And sometimes they're extremely loyal, extremely valuable. Other times it can really kind of be like a, Suck. It can suck for. But a lot of a company. lot of
1: times, you, if if it's not working, you should ask yourself, what is it about the way that I've led structured this agent it. or I've structured this agreement that it's not working? And it's not necessarily them; it might be you. For
0: example, like we expect the independent reps that do work for us to have the majority of their revenue coming from our lines. Like we don't want to be there. You know, 10% of their business, 10% of their focus. So that's some of the things that we do, or we don't expect them to have competitive lines.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's where the distributor relationship, like what we do, it could be a little bit different in that I'm not going to have more than 10% of my revenue, you know, tied up with you guys, and we're not going to have that mutual exclusivity.
0: So let's talk about distributors. There's, there's two primary distributors that my team would work with types of distributors. There's the industrial distributors like a Jason who sell you know, 10,000 different products, Maybe they have a full. Carry a lot of inventory. Yeah, exactly. You
1: know, we're doing VMI and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they,
0: they carry the paper. So what, right. I, what do I mean by that? Like The receivable. Yeah, they, like they actually buy. They're the customer and then they sell. Right, as so,
1: opposed to a commission with the manufacturer's rep.
0: Right, exactly. So sometimes, so they have a close connection with the end users. That's a huge strength. Sometimes they're the, the first to know when there's opportunity with an end user. And sometimes they're the only way in. So, for example, w- there's large companies that only buy through their distributor exclusively. So I can't t- talk to the guy who's making the decision at the end user. I have to have that relationship with the distributor or like a machine tool dealer. You'll buy a, a package with the machine tool. So you'll buy, like right. A, they're
1: doing like a turnkey,
0: like a yeah tooling yeah. cert or whatever. So let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar machine tool and you get financing for 120,000 and that 20,000 that you buy, your cutting tools, your fixtures or whatever. So like I need the relationship with that dealer because that's my only way in. The other thing is distributors have lots of feet on the street. There's a lot of sales guys if you work with your distributors. Well, okay, what are some of the weaknesses? What They're buying, but they're not buying at like end-user pricing. They're buying at a discount. So if you have a situation where you have a high variable commission that you have to pay to an independent manufacturer's rep, and you're selling already at a distribution discount, There's only so much meat on the bone. You don't want to like have unnecessary layers and stack all the commissions or discounts. And
1: then once again, you got to look at your structure and say, am I structured or modeled correctly for this situation?
0: Therein lies my big... Thing Like that's what we're going through right now is we're looking at the structure. The other weakness to a distributor is they often sell for your competition as well. Like it's, sometimes you have exclusives, but oftentimes you don't. Well, and, and this goes, you know. So with Jim, you know, I just
1: sold Jim seven miscollectors, and one of the things I told Jim was if you don't like how this one is priced, I've got a, you know one that's more expensive with more, you know, features and benefits, different brand. I've got another one that's lower expensive and I can offer you all three of these. And so I was able to, you know, kind of go to there and say, Jim, you know, how much, and, you know, he went for, you went for a recommendation, Jim, but like, that's, yeah, one of the kind of pros or, you know, maybe you could say cons of that situation.
0: And so it's like, it's just the reality of the channel. But while you were talking about your three different kinds of miscollectors, I'm thinking, well, my RSM needs to be like having lunch and learns with Jason's team to show them that like, hey, you don't have to go to our competitor. We have a premium right. version. Not that I sell miscollectors, but it's all about relationships. All about if it. my RSM is tight with his sales team and he's like, hey, next time someone has this requirement, we have a new product for that. Like they'll be top of mind and the distributor will be more inclined to sell my product instead of my competitor. So gotcha. there's a lot going on here describe quickly for the uh, for the audience Jim yep. your sales channels like it's a lot more cut and dry
2: i would imagine it is well we do a lot of research on industries that are are building mm-hmm. what what is the trends that we see in industries around the you know obviously commercial printing is not an industry we want to go after anymore because no one's reading print media anymore.
0: It's like the the office, Dunder Mifflin, you yeah. know, the, the company no, in the office. No, I don't know what that is. Well, it's the show of the office and their tagline is limitless paper for a paperless world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, something like that. So, you know, we do a lot of research on industries and we talk about it you know is is this the right move to make and so, so we do a lot of who's
0: your channel are you using a direct guy for a region are you do you have kind of a business development well you leader? just hired
2: your
1: first sales manager in the last several years yeah. so you you're like so a you have like a one. business development leader Yeah, essentially you have like yes. one yeah.
0: guy in charge of your right one line and he connects to all the different kinds of customers it's more like a punt nick it really is yeah you, you have know? you have one channel but
1: you don't need 20 channels you're a small so, shop you've Delegated and elevated that sales responsibility. Totally. To, and to I John. didn't
2: really love it to begin with. I just didn't have the time for it. And then that, and that I didn't really love it on the second, you know. So, anyway, so it's research. And then we, you know, we prospect and then it's all about the business relationship. Yeah, I'm you I'm more just talking in.
0: about the channels. You ha- you have one key guy and he's your link to the customer. So he's you have the link one the directly customer. employed.
2: Well, guy. and it could be Ryan or myself as well because we try to pull in like you do mm-hmm. as many knowledgeable people for the client as possible because we want to validate ourselves as a a machine shop that knows what we're doing. We've got high technology, we, you know, we've got a great ERP system, we've got inspection, we've got accreditations. You know, we have all those things that an OEM is looking for. So we know our target audience and we know what they're looking for and we know how to respond to them.
0: So before we wrap up the show, we talked about this growing segment of smaller shops that look yeah. a lot like car machine it's Interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I want to hear from your perspective, do you deal... How how do you like working with the different channels? So you're you're going to be more on the customer side of this. You have kind of one channel with for, for how you sell, but you buy machine tools from machine tool dealers. I do. You have a great relationship with Jason. I an do. An industrial distributor. Only sometimes. Sometimes you work directly you love with me. OEMs. Get over it, because I've worked directly nice with you. So so tell me about it. Like w- how would you prefer to bring in the products? Well, and first services? of all, so there's there's it's generational, so.
2: I typically like to work, I like to engage with people one-on-one. I'd rather talk with them. I'd rather learn. I'd rather do a little deep dive into the product. So you have a relationship with the guy who sold you a machine tool? I do. I do. And if I have a question, I know who to call. That's what I mean, call. Yeah. Whereas Ryan or John, the two millennials that are part of my leadership team, they already research. They already know what they want the company to have before we even go to market to buy it. So they're just going to websites. They're checking prices on websites and and whatever the case may be. So the only advantage I can is when they hit a wall in their research or they can't I can't jump over it is is when I jump in and I do something different that they would normally do and then I get I'm the problem solved. Yeah,
1: right. And probably nine times out of ten, you do jump in. Because that personal relationship does make a difference.
2: Right. Like the other day, Ryan couldn't get an extended, a six-inch reamer in a special diameter. And I said, let's talk. What were the avenues you went to? He went, I I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this. Who'd you call? He didn't call the company. He went through their website, info at whatever the hell it was, (laughs) yeah, and got nothing. (gasps) So I said, blackhole.com. I can... He goes. I said, "Tell me what you need." I wrote down the sp- specifics, and within three hours, I had numbers for him from two different vendors that I bought from both.
1: And I was one of them,
2: and he was one of them. There you go.
1: And and Jim literally texted a picture of a of a post note, note to me, yeah. and I got the job done. And that's you know part of that personal
0: touch. I'm right. very atypical as a millennial. I'm like. Okay, where's the phone number? I want to right. talk to somebody. Yeah. But I still understand the value, like you described, of that Tesla experience or how Ryan sure. buys. Like right. if he got the answer to his question, he wouldn't have needed to call anyone. Right. I think
1: that personal relationship is still important. You need to learn how to kind of navigate. Because like with Ryan, with the miscollectors, you know, when I was interfacing with him, I didn't call him when we needed to talk about. It. I was g chatting with him. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I mean, it's just that's how he responds.
0: Yeah. So have you? Do you ever deal with independent manufacturers representatives? No, on
2: never. In all of the forty years in the history of the company. There might have been two transactions with... Uh, so
1: I, I could tell you typically where this works well is, is if you, from a sales perspective, you don't have the resources to have somebody full-time on your team covering a particular territory geographically, that's where the independent sales representative is very valuable. Sure.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I appreciate the perspective from both of you guys. Yeah, no worries. I know this is kind of a lot. Like, it's a lot more cut and dry for you. I envy you sometimes. Yeah. It's like... Well, don't. You could just talk... You could just talk to uh, John, your sales guy. Right. And he's got the connection to the customer and he can bring you into the customer. And, but, well, you know, and I have thousands and thousands of customers. Win, win. It's hard. When
2: he can make that connection, he can prospect, make the connection, and then we pull in as a unit our combined wisdom. Mm-hmm. And that's when we can impress and we can Well the one thing the one
1: thing I could say is, you know, like sales is never easy. And as your company grows, kind of your sales channels develop and grow. And sometimes they take on a life of your own. And sometimes you have to take a step back and say, Wow, this is not how it started. And I need to get this straightened out. You gotta work on your model. You gotta work on your model. But I mean as a sales guy and as somebody who believes that everything starts with sales, I mean, you know, everybody in the company, you know, there's like three, usually three big buckets. There's sales and marketing, there's operations, and then there's, you know, finance and accounting. And they all think everything starts with them. You know, I believe as a sales guy, everything starts with sales.
0: I mean, I it is, is literally the front end and it's the It's the front the end and
1: you can't yeah. do anything without making a sale. Right. And, you know, you can't. if you're not making sales. You're not making
2: chips. And if you're not making chips. You're not making money. Bam! As
1: always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time.